The Sports Career Podcast, episode 311. What's the lifestyle working in a legal team at a football club? Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest with regards to sports law. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Ashot Karuni. Ashot is an international sports lawyer and founder of AKA Lex Sportivia law office. Before, he was head of legal department FC Urata, which is a professional football club in Armenia. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Ashot as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Ashot will share his sports legal journey and explain to you the lifestyle of working in a legal team at a football club. A shot is such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please, you share to listeners your sports legal journey. When did it all start? So eventually, it was 2015. If I'm not mistaken, mistaken, October 10. Uh, this was my first working day at football club. I was recommended from one of my colleagues. The employment was done in the following way. So the previous lawyer uh, left the club and the new general manager was seeking uh, a new lawyer. But in Armenia, there was not many, there were no many uh, sports lawyers. So the targeting, uh, the targeting lawyers were like this. There should be a corporate lawyers with the desire to get into the sports law uh, sphere field so eventually during the interview i myself asked the employer the general manager of the club to stipulate the probation period for one month because if you are not competent or you are not capable to execute the work which is being assigned to you you should resign so from this point of view i was afraid a little bit because i didn't know anything about sports law but eventually I ended working like 14, 15 hours a day, searching, searching over and over because uh, as a lawyer, I am more dedicated to the law school of Ius Positum, uh, which is the positive law. I believe that everything is regulated is the rule number one. And if it's uh, the rule number two, it's, if it's not regulated, uh, read the rule number one. I was searching over and over again by myself, by my own. I have started to review all the FIFA regulations, the commentaries which uh, were published, the circular letters of FIFA, the regulations of UEFA, because the club uh, in which I was working was uh, 
affiliated to member association, which in turn was affiliated to UEFA. So basically these legal, legal acts were mandatory for this club. And obviously the legal acts of the Federation of itself. So it was like a journey of Alice in Wonderland, you know, like you are jumping in this rabbit hole and a new world is being spread over your side. And it was very difficult at the beginning, very difficult. I will be very honest because there was no any uh, other lawyer to whom I could refer with my questions and I was studying on my own. Later on, I started to search for CAS cases, FIFA DRC decisions, player status committee decisions. So uh, over the years, I've become more and more and more capable for being called a true practitioner of sports uh, as a sports lawyer because I started to have uh, multiple cases in FIFA DRC, in CAS itself. So, uh, but it was long story short, it was difficult because I was alone on my journey. So, of course, during my journey, I met international sports lawyers. Uh, one of the offices I uh, really enjoy to work with is Rizwerta and Avogados. They are fantastic. Many other lawyers as well. So how would I say? I would recommend if somebody wants to start career of sports lawyer, in order to avoid uh, the difficulties I had on my journey, I would definitely recommend to have some kind of an internship in a law office which is uh, practicing sports law. There are many in Europe, and uh, or or if there is no such possibility to uh, study everything uh, on his or her own. But uh, I would say the following: in order to become a sports lawyer, at first you must be a very good general lawyer at first, because you must have really deep theoretical knowledge of law, really deep one. It is not like a general uh, uh, field of law, you know, it is a transnational, international law. It uh, more or less, it, it's connected with uh, Swiss law. You should study Swiss law by itself, Swiss code of obligations, Swiss civil code. You should read the Swiss, uh, Swiss football tribunal uh, decisions. It's, uh, you should have your vision on the, start points which should be taken into account from which you should start your journey okay so for every student or a newcomer i would definitely recommend to start from the fifa regulations especially starting fifa statutes and the second and the most important legal act so far is the regulation of status and transfer of players which by itself has its own commentary official by from FIFA, and it's uh, more or less 600 pages long. Uh, so these are the most important documents to start with. Can I jump in of a third suggestion? And I need your point of view. You said about having good theoretical knowledge, again, doing an internship in sports law, but what are your thoughts of uh, having a mentor? Because you said it was difficult because you're on your own, but if you had a mentor whilst you made that decision, who's in that field, 
is that another recommendation? Because for me personally, and I'm not a sports lawyer, having a mentor has been a great asset of my personal growth. And I think um, I, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that suggestion I've just made of having, like, of course, internships great for experience, but having a mentor, particularly in, in a certain country you live, like, sorry, I've interviewed other lawyers, law in the UK is different from Egypt. Um, of course, there's international sports law, which can overlap, but it's always easier to connect with somebody in the country you're in because you can follow their path instead of reinventing the wheel. So I'd love your thoughts on that shot or that suggestion. I would generalize your question. I would recommend any lawyer to have a mentor at start. Every lawyer, despite it's a sport, a sports lawyer, civil lawyer, it doesn't matter. Because at the first beginning of my journey as a regular lawyer, uh, I would uh, I will uh, tell you my story. Okay, when I finished my bachelor degree, uh, the first thing I encountered was all I have is just a theoretical knowledge. I do not have uh, full experience to be able to carry out the litigation by myself at the beginning. So what I did, I asked one of attorneys at law in my country uh, to work in their office for free of charge to be like a practitioner, like help as much as I can. And uh, I was very lucky enough because he was a fantastic lawyer. He had a really good, strong strategic mind. He was drawing up the litigation starting from the first word until the European Courts of Human Rights. He had all this strategy on his mind. And what he gave to me by that time he gave me this strategic knowledge. He was working with me. He was spending his time on me. So I value this up till now. And uh, I can say that this first part of your journey is the part that constructs you as a lawyer for the future. So it is very important, very important to find a good mentor who is uh, ready to apply his uh, knowledge and his experience onto you, to prepare you, to, to explain you why he decided to uh, choose this strategy in this litigation, why he decided to respond like that, why he decided not to talk about this. So in general, to give you the practical legal uh, thinking, it is very important. And from, from the sports law perspective, I would definitely recommend to be uh, to to search for a mentor who more or less uh, has worked in the industry, because you can be called a sports lawyer, but uh, without having uh, an experience in football club, in football federation. Believe me, if you have an experience in uh, stakeholders of FIFA, it is uh, totally an, another experience than just uh, having the regular experience. I I will explain you why. For example, within these years that I was uh, working in a uh, football club, I know, for example, okay, the floodlighting standards of the stadium. This is not a lawyer's job to know this. This is uh, technical, electrician stuff. But in order to receive the license for stadium, whether you want it or not, you study this. You know that the minimum requirement for uh, Category 2 stadium is, for example, 800 looks uh, uh, looks brightness of the flood lighting. So you know this. Then you know the pitch uh, turf certificate standards, the ball standards, the legs uh, uh, ludica itself, so-called laws of the game established by IFAB. 
So, for example, I was really fascinating when I was re uh, I was reading the IFAB laws of the game, and it is very astonishing how the laws of the game are being understood and percepted by a lawyer and by a referee. This is really fascinating because uh, more or less it's a regulation, right? It's a law of the game. It's a regulation. So it's legal act. And uh, lawyer understands this text totally in a different way and the referee understands in a totally different way. He understands it from the uh, game itself from the perspective of the match, but the lawyer understands this from the uh, scope of rights and obligations of the players on the pitch. So this is fascinating. So that's why my favorite part of uh, sports law is uh, the uh, appeal in the disciplinary committees, UEFA disciplinary committee, if exactly, and uh, appealing against the referee decisions. This is very interesting and uh, uh, gives you more perspective on sports itself. So I would, uh, for example, I do not have any information on this, but I would definitely like to speak with one of lawyers working in the motorsport industry. And uh, if he has a similar experience or not, because I know that the appeal, com uh, appeal committee, if I'm not mistaken, is acting under the scope of uh, FIA, FIA. So I would like to know about their experience as well, because when you read the regulation of uh, FIA, uh, there is much, much uh, more information from a technical point of view, the standards, etc. So it's very fascinating. It's really fascinating. I can hear the tone of your voice, and it leads to this next question because I think it's really important for like young lawyers. And you've just highlighted there how important is it for lawyers, but let's say sports lawyers, to keep it in that niche. Uh, curiosity. How has curiosity supported your role as a sports lawyer with the different cases and the different work you do? in this industry? Very good question. And this is uh, the answer of my motivation to work in the club uh, by its own. Uh, so I was studying law in uh, Russian Armenian University. Uh, and I had very good professors, very good. Uh, I still remember most of the words they were telling us. And I remember when I was at the second grade uh, of my study, I asked one of the professors of civil law how the football is being regulated, how sports are being regulated in general, because this is like a dark forest. We do not possess any information on that. And he uh, was uh, very honest and he said, this is a scope that is outside of our study. Nobody knows. If you want, we can try to understand this, but this is out of the scope of civil law itself. So this uh, was one of the signs, the curiosity was one of the signs of motivation which drives you to jump into this wonderland that Alice did in, in its own story. So, but I would, summer, I would like to mention also one important thing, okay? Uh, at your start of the journey, you should... Uh, understand that you must imply a huge amount of time in this. For example, my principle was what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I was uh, reading, studying, researching uh, everything without uh, any stop. I was even thinking about that at night when I was sleeping, you know, like I was uh, at the morning, at the, at the afternoon, at the evening. Uh, this was 
all my mind was covered by the questions how is being how this is being regulated how this is being regulated what if there is a dispute what is training compensation the training compensation is one of my favorite topics because it was hard every lawyer who starts his journey on this uh thinks at first that training compensation is hard but it's not hard believe me when you study its mechanism and this institute legal institute in its own it's not hard but it's very interesting so uh it's a non uh, it's a non-stoppable action of studying studying and studying and when you get to the point when you are able to provide a full and explicit qualified legal service to your client that is the moment that you should already start to keep yourself up to date to the latest regulations. I will explain you why. Uh, Emilio Garcia, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, he is uh, head of the legal division of FIFA. He has done an important and fascinating job on in FIFA, okay? He was uh, developing the legal framework of FIFA years by years. I was, I was the witness of this evolution of FIFA how the regulations have, be, have been changing year by year from 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Year by year, I was uh, reviewing the work of FIFA and maybe it is not uh, seeable at first, but Emilio Garcia and his, and his team did a fantastic and titanic job of FIFA regulatory framework uh, development. It is, it is undisputed. If you compare what was the legal framework of FIFA in 2015 and what is it now, the difference is, is inco incomparable. It's, it's, it's like 1,000% and they did a fascinating and fantastic job. The uh, uh, simple proof of that is uh, the latest commentary on uh, regulation of FIFA, regulations of status and transfer of players. So you should always keep yourself up to date to the latest amendments and changes in the interest, in the industry. So, for example, we uh, right now, I suppose, nearly every sports lawyer waits for the agents regulation because it's it's uh, being discussed. Uh, many of them uh, eventually FIFA did a fantastic job with the. Uh, stakeholders on this subject as well. There were meetings, there were discussions, so everybody waits to see what kind of uh, changes will be done in the new regulations. I just want to jump in because, honestly, what I've heard is really interesting, but I want to take a skill set from what you've said. You've said already to the listener, it's important to stay up to date with information, but I assume the reason isn't just so you stayed up to date with the knowledge, it actually improves that skill of that attention to detail. And I have to say, that's a strong strength of yours. Even with this podcast, when we were on the phone yesterday, making sure we have the right podcast topic, how important is it for a lawyer to have that attention to detail? Not just, you know, anybody can read a lot of information, listen to a lot of information, but it's how you articulate it to your client at the end of the day. So just for any young lawyers listening in, how vital is that skill of that attention to detail of how you communicate your message to a club, to a case or to a client? Okay, so uh, regarding your question, it even started uh, at the beginning of my journey when I wasn't a sports lawyer. When there is an amendment of law by government or by any entity, 
at first you should try to find the purpose of that amendment, why it was done. For example, any government before making a proposal to the parliament to revise and amend uh, law, they provide the legal written explanation of the need of this amendment. So the same goes in sports law. Uh, in my experience, before any amendment, FIFA always sends uh, stakeholders, sends, for example, circulars, explaining more or less why this amendment is needed, why uh, it is, by what it is motivated. So in order to understand the text, the historical background of it, you should be able to find out the purpose for which it was made. And uh, in order not to distort facts, in order not to act in, in bad faith, not, in order not to distort the litigation by itself in front of court, whether it is football tribunal, whether it is cast, doesn't matter. You should understand the purpose of the law at first and then construct your legal approach uh, on the factual circumstances that are at hand in the case. So it is very important to review the purpose of the amendments, the purpose of regulation. And uh, uh, you know, in every legal act, uh, at first there are principles, a scope, a scope, of, application, a scope of application, principles, more or less methodology, and then the regulation itself. So I recommend every lawyer to, to not forget about the principles of legal act. This is the important, uh, most important uh, thing, because if you forget about the principles and if you look at the text by itself alone, you can end up with the wrong application of it and the wrong understanding. So uh, that's why mentor is needed, uh, of course. Mentor is the person who should explain to you about this at uh, in the office, you know? So this is uh, more or less the first steps that every lawyer should take uh, into account at first. Absolutely, and I want to just pivot the conversation because we talked about the regulations. The one thing I have learned with other lawyers being on the podcast show is, and it could be in any part of the sports industry, but how important is it building effective relationships with regards to being an international sports lawyer? Because really quickly, I've had lawyers who've worked with other lawyers in different countries to solve a case together than doing them on their own. So, and I don't want people to feel that if you're a sports lawyer, you are on your own with your career journey. There is this word collaboration done professionally. So would you mind just sharing a bit from your experience, but also why it's important to build meaningful, you know, connections and relationships in sports law too? Of course, of course. So <clears throat> I will uh, I will answer uh, to your question from two points of view. From the point of view of the employee of the club, as uh, I was working in my uh, past, I was working as an employee and also received uh, and created uh, multiple networking while working in the club. This is the first part. And the second part was already working uh, in a legal team as a part of it, okay, as you said. So, first of all, uh, I would recommend anybody not to be rude and toxic, okay? This is the first important part because uh, professional uh, sports at higher level are more or less very difficult from social point of view. There are many people, many uh, motivations of that people, 
nobody knows what kind of motivations uh, by what kind of motivations people are being uh, driven to solve this or that issues so first of all you should not forget about the politeness this is a very important part you should uh, build as uh, many connections as you can but uh, i would say it like this a healthy connections so uh, it doesn't mean that you must uh, act in bad faith it doesn't mean that you must do what you are not supposed to be uh, doing. You must uh, try to solve any inquiry which is assigned to you by cooperating. And especially this is addressed to more or less football agents because, you know, uh, I have seen many uh, situations where, for example, agents were trying they were representing players' interests, obviously, that, that was their job, but they were approaching the club in the wrong way. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? They were starting to push their uh, interest in 120%, which eventually ended by legal uh, dispute, uh, ended in legal dispute between the club and the player or the club uh changed its uh, approach to the player or the player started to perform not in its uh, in its full potential so basically the agent for example shall understand that before the possible transfer the player is the employee of the club and it is a very bad intention to try to destroy the uh, good relations between the employer and the employee. So the agent at first shall try to cooperate with the club, to exhaust all the possibilities to explain the club that he is not, he or she is not the enemy of the club and there is a common business to do. But if you are going to act in this uh, situation only solely uh, keeping in your mind the interest of the player, it it can uh, end up in a very bad uh, consequences. Can I can I jump in? Sorry to interrupt, but just for the listeners, because I, I know exactly what you're saying. You're saying with regards to the approach from an agent, they should be going, what's in it for us, not what's in it for I and my player. Because if you go and approach of what's in it for the win for the club, meaning what they want, the agent and the player, that's how you're collaborating in the communication process. Let me explain you in a, in, on a practical example. Let me explain to you. Uh, we had a transfer uh, to one of the European countries and uh, it was a transfer with transfer fee. And uh, there was an agent uh, which was in my understanding, he is one of the prof very most the most professional agents I have ever encountered. Okay, he was trying to find a solution for nearly every problem which were which we were facing within this transfer, starting from taxation, ending up with the sporting interest of all the parties. This guy was doing a fantastic job. He, uh, which uh, you know, the first thing. I understood in his actions was that he understands that his purpose and his target is the end of the transfer. 
to transfer the player from tra uh, from the club A to club B. And he tries to solve every problem for that purpose. He's not going to push club A. He's not going to, uh, to push the club B. What he does, he does, uh, he tries to solve the problems which encounter between these two clubs because the clubs are uh, keeping their own interest in the transfer. It's obvious. So this one tries to sell uh, the registration rights uh, with most, uh, as, as, as uh, in uh, the highest amount it can. And the other one, uh, in a totally different way, tries the opposite. And the work of the agent is to make and find a compromise for these two contradicting positions. And I was, uh, I was watching this guy doing nearly everything to, to reach this uh, cooperational conclusion for this case. So I, I would recommend agents to work in this manner. Eventually, of course, without, uh, um, how would I say, without, uh, not without limiting the player's interest, of course, if they are a representing player, of course, uh, but they must try to balance all this situation. It's hard. That's why I say to be a professional agent, uh, I'm not an agent by myself, so but I have encountered many agents and being a very good agent is really hard in my understanding. Do you mean hard of how they communicate with the different parties? In Not only to communicate, but only do not forget that the agent by himself or herself must know uh, the regulations as well. Because, because uh, FIFA has strict rules uh, for transfers, the third-party influence regulation, third-party ownership regulation, and uh, there is a big and uh, huge uh, judicial practice experience on this. So uh, agents must know this as well. So it's it's hard, it's actually hard, it's not easy. Not only in terms of communication, but also the, from, the, from the perspective of uh, uh, doing, the, of executing the transfer of, uh, of his own. He must know how the transfer is being done uh, how the international transfer certificate is being delivered, in what time frames, in everything, deadlines. He must know all of this. Because more or less, agents are communicating with the lawyers of the clubs. And it's uh, it's hard to try to convince, uh, not to convince, but to change the legal approach of the lawyer of the club. It's very hard. So eventually, uh, when I was involved in the transfers from the club's perspective, I was uh, trying to settle everything uh, from my club's point of view, the other lawyer from his club's, and eventually the agent was trying to find a compromise be uh, be between our divisions of the transfer, especially when we were discussing about the medical uh, condition of the player, uh, the certification of it, like it is, it is not easy. It is not easy. So if one of your uh, listeners uh, from your audience uh, thinks about becoming a really qualified and professional football agent, it's uh, it's also by itself a standalone difficult journey. Just reflecting on that case study, uh, was it a success? Yes, it was a success. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, every party of it was uh, satisfied.
Brilliant. See, this is what the podcast is about a shot. Thank you so much for that case study because we did have a conversation about agents and I always say I just want best practice here so people can then understand when, you know, with a mentor, put it in the right direction. But I want to get to today's podcast main topic, which I'm really excited to ask you this. Like from your experience, like what is the lifestyle of working in a legal team at a football club? Could you just paint the picture, but also the reality of any young students who want to work with a legal team at a football club? What is the reality working in a legal team at a club? This is an interesting question. Okay, so <clears throat> what is the lifestyle? So I will I will try to cover your, your question from the point of view of the head of legal and the point of view as a part of a legal team who is working on a particular case, okay? So when you are working as a head of legal and uh, I believe if one of my fellow colleagues uh, will be listening this podcast, he will understand what I'm saying. Uh, there is a there is a saying in sports industry that in football industry particularly that football never sleeps. It's twenty four by seven. It's three hundred sixty five days uh, in a year. So especially uh, during the registration period, you should be ready to. Uh, answer phone calls at 4 a.m. to uh, be beside your general manager every single second uh, which requires your legal assistance because, um, for example, it depends from club, of course. Uh, in many clubs, the negotiations are being done by the general manager uh, or by sports director or by head coach. It depends from club to club, but anyway, the job of the head of legal is to be near uh, the person in charge of the transfers uh, beside every second because your assistance is being needed uh, during the negotiations itself. So it's a really fast driving experience, you know, it every second counts. So uh, you should be prepared yourself for this kind of lifestyle, especially within the registration periods. For me, for me, the also the most difficult time uh, within the year was the winter transfer period, because this period also was uh, the licensing, club licensing period of the club. So the amount of work which was needed to be done was enormous. It it we were preparing all the all the documentation for the licensing of the club for the upcoming season, and uh, simultaneously we were um, being engaged into transfer uh, operations. So this is the most uh, difficult part for me. It was was at least not now. But when I was a club employee, it was the most difficult one because you must be on check every second, especially if you are if your uh, football club is a big one. And uh, our club was a big one, which I was uh, in which I was working. You must not uh, be ready not only for the transfers and club licensing. There are also various other uh, legal uh, matters to cover on HR department, uh, residency issues with the players, uh, security problems uh, with uh, notifying police about 
the new upcoming agenda calendar of marches, everything. You must uh, work like crazy in this period, you know, and especially by not losing the quality of work. This is uh, also a very important part. You you must try to uh, keep the highest quality standards of your work and the quantity of work. So that's why my slogan was what doesn't kill you makes you stronger <laughs> you know so it's it's not it's not easy it's not easy but but uh you must overcome this year by year you have the experience and eventually and consequently your experience uh you know gives you the predict predictability of work to be done so uh for example when i re when i uh get uh, when i had enough experience let's call it like this okay enough experience after two three years of uh, the work, I was already starting to preparing. For example, starting to prepare the, for example, okay, the club licensing documentation at the start of January, not in February, but in January, one month earlier, in order to settle my time. How uh, so it so I would be have so I would be able to solve solve and cover up other matters. And keep the quality. So it, it also time time management. Let's call it time management. Yeah, I was gonna say I was also gonna say like working smarter, not harder, because what I was trying to say, what I learned, what you've just said about the predictability during those two to three years, you saw the patterns of when's the busiest periods of being, you know, part of the legal team and when are slightly quieter to prepare, like you said, doing work in January, not February when that piece of project had to be done so just stick into this theme of work like keeping the quality and quantity like how looking from your reflecting from your career do you know the patterns of a year for yourself or okay just talking hypothetically december is going to be a quiet period but i can do a lot of preparation for january because i always think for me personally i know it's different for a football club running because there's a lot well i know at a world cup year men's world cup year but what i'm trying to say here do you see patterns where you work smarter, not harder, but also you can function with sleep? Because you did say that phrase, football doesn't sleep, but we as humans do. So throughout the year, do you know periods when you need to work smarter, but not harder, so you burn out? Let's call it this way. If you if your club is big and you are alone, you must work smarter and harder. But if you have enough human resources, you can even... In my experience, in my, uh, for example, uh, other sports lawyers or uh, other head of legals uh, experience may differ. I do not know, but uh, I think you can even uh, know the pattern for a year, not for a month, for a year. For example, in my experience, it was uh, like this. In January, the drafting of the, the preparation of the club licensing documentation in February to have enough time to settle the, uh, the transfer transfer uh, matters, registration matters uh, through the FIFA TMS, for example, or negotiations or registering the players, etc. League matters, uh, and uh, eventually in March, for example, March April, the residency issues, and from March to to end of May the competition matters, for example, appeals, 
I do not know, like, uh, I mean, appeals from uh, of uh, March decisions, like uh, yellow cards, red cards, appealing of the decisions of the disciplinary bodies, etc. So more or less a league, league matters or, uh, for example, um, handling over the legal matters of the business partners, for example, there can be sponsorship agreement, there can be, uh, I don't know, problem, for example, a legal problem with the regular employee uh, of the club, for example, like a general uh, legal matters. Yes. And in May, it all, uh, you must already prepare yourself for the uh, next uh, registration period, uh, the summer transfer window, let's call it like this. Uh, so it and from the August, in my at least in my country, it was like this from August to December. Again, the league matters, competition matters, and the general stuff, the legal correspondence, uh, business matters, I mean, uh, with partners, etc. So you can more or less predict uh, what uh, will be the your agenda of work, but of course, there. There might be, for example, an unexpected uh, cases. For example, you can receive, for example, a pre uh, a notice of default from another club, a notice of default from another player, for example, and you should already start to work on this. This can end up on this phase or can even grow bigger into a, a case uh, in football uh, tribunal in dispute uh, resolution chamber. So, but more or less, if you do your work in a proper way uh, more or less you can predict a, a whole calendar year in my understanding more or less yeah no this is great i hope the listeners particularly sports lawyers are enjoying this part and taking notes but there's one case i'd love you to share and i'm being very broad but i was blown away with what you said to me on a comment on a phone call you said ed you did one transfer with two different time zones where you worked for 56 hours and you said my best friend at the time was coffee why have I shared that is I want young lawyers to realize that there will be periods where you're up all the time. You did say you have to take phone calls at 4am, but actually staying up because you said you said it a couple of times at every sort of second counts. Could you just share what you can share with that example, but also what you learned from those 56 hours um, of like the resilience of being a, a sports lawyer at a football club legal team? Uh I will start from the beginning. First of all, it was not related to an order from general manager, okay? Because my general manager was really watching me suffering on this. And he was always saying, go to home, have a rest, etc. I, I was I was the one who was saying no, because this was under my strict responsibility. And I it was not a matter of trust, but it was the matter of, uh, supervision of this transfer because it was one of the most important and I couldn't uh, be outside of this I, for example uh, if I would be sleeping at the moment I do not know what could happen and uh, eventually I, I think if I would have a rest this transfer could take for example one week instead of 56 hours because uh maybe for example as a head of legal you find a problem that you are not uh, agree with and you are restarting everything so it will take more and more time 
So from this point of view, I decided better to finish this all at once because besides the it was the end of the transfer window, and we did we didn't have enough time for uh, making a mistake. So what was the reason? If I'm not mistaken, uh, the international transfer certificate was uh, with us uh, at our club. So uh, the, the player was already registered with our club, but he was on loan. And uh, there was a new club wanting him to be transferred. So we were trying to settle this three part, four part agreement because there was a loaner club, loanee club, the new club, acquiring club, and the player himself. So we should negotiate all the transfer details on this. And uh, Brazil was eight hours before us and uh, Japan was five hours ahead of us. So I was stuck in the middle and I was trying to arrange the negotiations with Brazilian part and then later with Japanese part. So I was, uh, because the player was registered with us, we were the one who should carry out all this situation, okay? So I was stuck in the middle, but eventually this transfer also ended with success. And uh, looking back, it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. And uh, I remember when it was done, the general manager gave me two days off, two days off, he said, uh, go back and prepare yourself for the next week and uh, eventually I had a fantastic general manager a fantastic person and uh, up till now I am very thankful to him for everything he has done for me as an employee Can I just touch on this word resilience because it can be misused but for me that that example which I love that you shared and thank you for going in the details is that resilience of like you, you, you followed your gut that was the right decision, but you didn't know, you know, the outcome was going to be 56 hours. But just for young listeners listening in from a trait, like a characteristic, like how important is resilience of being a sports lawyer in those sort of cases? Not every week or every day, but just reflecting your career. I just want listeners to understand that this is the reality when you're in those situations. This is not a regular case that you can encounter every time. No, 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 no. This is. This is some kind of an extreme situation and it is strictly related to the time zones, okay? Because uh, it's not a common transfer and it, uh, it's not a regular one. So uh, I've encountered this kind of situation uh, for a single time in, in six years. So it's not like a regular thing. Okay, you may have, for example, transfers uh, for which you must uh, be ready to work at night, for example, but not like this, to not be able to sleep at all, like not, not kind of this stuff. Uh, well, for example, you can have a transfer from, for example, from United States, and definitely the time difference is huge from Europe, uh, between Europe and United States. And you must be ready, for example, to work if need be at night, if need be at early morning, but this is not a regular thing. It can be one or two times within a year. So you should be mentally be you should be mentally ready for this. It's one thing to consider. You cannot say it like 
okay, my six hours works are over. So I'm uh, locking up the door. I'm going home. Okay, you can do it from the uh, rights of the employee, et cetera, et cetera. You can do it. Of course you can. Imagine you, you are doing it, but believe me or not, you will end up harming your, your own employer's business. And I do not know what kind of legal consequences can arise uh, from this uh, particular factual circumstances. It depends on the country, of course. But for example, the self-dedication to this business is very important. And, uh, you know, I would like to cover a small uh, point as well. Being a sports lawyer is not only uh, about uh, thinking only about legal stuff. You should also think about the business part and the sports part. This is important. I will, I will tell you why. Uh, in my experience, I had uh, some cases where I met lawyers, other lawyers, who were trying to fight for a very small amount, but eventually their client, their client's expenses were much higher than the claim itself. And it was very questionable if all these expenses could be included in the claim itself or not. So when I was speaking with them, like, what are you doing? They were explaining that they are fighting for justice. Okay. This is also a legal manner to, to work with, no problem. But in sports industry, I believe the business component of the all legal relations also uh, matters most. You must, uh, of course, this is not a job of a lawyer. This is more or less a job of a financial, uh, the CFO or the accountant. But you should also communicate with uh, these persons in charge to understand whether or more it is uh, it is acceptable to apply one hundred for example for example one hundred percent of human resources if the outcome will be this amount or that amount business wise this is also important you should also think from the manager's point of view in the scope of the capacity you have at the workplace, okay? Because you must understand what you are doing. It's not only like reading the protocol and okay, I'm doing this, this, this. And if somebody asks, okay, I did my job, I do not care what is the rest. No, it's not like that. You should be able to understand what are you doing, why you are doing it, what if you are doing it correct or not correct. And for this particular parts you must be able and you must be flexible to communicate with your co-workers you must really be a team worker it cannot work without it in my belief in my belief so it is important uh, uh, team working and regarding the second uh, part we didn't cover it how is the lifestyle to work within the legal team Okay, so in my experience, in my experience, when I am working with uh, now, especially now when I when I'm working with other lawyers, uh, attorneys at law in sports cases, uh, most uh, in in my experience, most of the cases I was working with were, were 
truly good professional lawyers and working with them was a pleasure because if you are working uh, with a professional you can end up uh, you can do the job even without talking in my belief like uh, by saying like this i mean you can speak about five percent of the work five percent and the 95 percent to be done you cannot you for example are not even obliged to discuss like this uh, this is understandable for you and team for example for your whole team you divide the work between you and uh, you do the job very easily because you know the part he knows the part and it's like it's like a symphony if we compare it to the music it's like <clears throat> for example yes uh, or uh, like an orchestra and for example, if all of you are professionals, for example, you are trying to, uh, for example, perform the uh, Ave Maria of Schubert, okay, let's call it for an example. So everybody knows this composition and you are musicians, you know this by heart. So you are just doing it uh, unconsciously. Let's call it like this. Like this. Of course, at the, at the beginning, you are doing the brainstorming, etc. You are discussing every matter that you feel is uh, worth to discuss but like doing the job exactly is uh, very easy if you work with professionals if not this is a little bit difficult i i'm lucky enough to say that i didn't have experience much experience to work with unprofessional people no uh, in my experience, I was happy enough to work with uh, very good sports lawyers. And uh, it was a pleasure for me. And I hope it was likewise for them. It was a pleasure for to work with me as well. So uh, it's very important to with whom you are working with. And the lifestyle. Uh, the lifestyle is just a regular, let's call it like this, lawyering. Like drafting the claim. Etc. So finding evidences, evaluating evidences, attaching to evidences. So it's it's just a regular. It, there is no much difference in lifestyle. One thing I do want to touch on though, on the lifestyle, like how do you switch off as a lawyer? Because I've had many, and I kid you not, when I speak to them on WhatsApp, they are on calls till eleven o'clock at night. It's almost like there's no break period of their work cycle because it's just part of the role. Like you said, it's just being a lawyer. But for you as an individual. Do you have periods where, if it could be a weekend, where you totally switch off? Like, how do you switch off? Oh, my gosh. It's okay. I think it's important. Like, is there any ways you, you on purposely have a hobby to switch off from work or being a lawyer? Look, uh, you are asking me now and, or when I was... Uh... Now, yeah, right now as a lawyer. like No, because I'm asking this. I'm asking this because... Uh... For example, back when I was working in football club, I even was discussing a player's return to the club on 1st of January at the morning. When people are celebrating New Year, I was discussing a player's return with his agent. This is uh, another story. So if you're asking me now, for example, uh, now I, as, as an independent lawyer now, now, it's more easy for me to make my own time management. So, for example, I can work like crazy three, four days 
and for example just have a rest on my on my chair like i am the one who uh constructs his own uh, time frame to to work with so it's 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 more easy but you cannot say uh, the same for uh, other uh, lawyers who are obliged uh, in the scope of supervision to perform this or that action. So this is the key difference. If you are an independent lawyer, you are the one who uh, constructs his own or her own overloading. It's, it's up to you to decide. For example, yes, and besides, besides, you should also keep in mind that you must not be so overloaded that can, it can uh, so it could any way harm your client's interest. So it's very important. For example, me as well. I can take, for example, forty cases, and then and uh, and then ending up with uh, failing everyone. This is not a method to work. You must be able to fully understand your time management in order to provide a highly qualified services and the time is very valuable for that so regarding the rest it's it's now i think uh, independent lawyers can will share my opinion if you are going to have a podcast with other lawyers please ask this i'm interested because i think i think uh, they will say the same because when you are an employee you have a certain responsibilities and obligations to fulfill which can uh, uh which are out and or are, are beyond of your control okay your time is not yours your time is your employer's time and uh, you are not uh, in control of your time but in when you are independent you are in control of your time in the scope of the interest to be represented no I, i've really enjoyed this conversation i hope the listeners too on like not just being a sports lawyer, but the lifestyle behind it. Out of interest, a shot though, like what have you enjoyed the most from your sports legal journey looking back right now? What I enjoyed. So this is a hard question because I enjoyed various, various uh, things, but most of uh, the most important one, which I would like to highlight is uh, the regulations. I I well, was doing my PhD when I was hired by club. So more or less, I approached the law from a scientific point of view. And for me, it was very interesting and uh, very fascinating to, to study and do this legal research from the scientific point of view and more uh, now or later sooner or later i'm going to uh, do a new study in sports law field this is in my plans for future i want to do a phd on sports law industry and the scientific point of view is the most important one for me i was enjoying it because i was always comparing the sports regulations, the Lex Sportiva, the general customs of sports law with the regular law and uh, how the impact is being, uh, the, the connection between a regular law 
and the sports law to which extent the sports law should have its autonomy because sports law by itself derives from legal practice of European Court of Justice back in the days in 1970. There was a first case which comes to my mind is the Eastern versus Newcastle 1964. Like there is a big history behind this and eventually everything ended up like European Union granted an autonomy of sports uh, to the sports industry from the legal perspective. And uh, there is an extent to understand to which extent this autonomy of sports should be. And what I'm saying now is strongly connected with the so-called Super League, about which I'm sure you heard of. So there is a competitive law of European Union to be considered. So there is an extent to understand this autonomy of sports law. And this is a very, very important part and scientific part to jump into in. So this is my own perspective, which I enjoyed the most and I'm enjoying still. And this is my main motivation. Regarding the industry itself, uh, you know, industry, sports industry is uh, more or less an entertainment industry. So uh, you are part of the entertainment system. Doesn't matter how much you try to keep your emotional naturalness, more or less you are a part of it. And you know, like you are going for matches, like just watching everything. So you are part of this entertainment, but not legally speaking, okay? Uh, a small declaimer, not a legal. From the legal perspective, there is no difference if you are working in the entertainment industry or sports uh, or, uh, excuse me, business industry, finance industry. No, it doesn't matter. But from the personal, not professional, but personal point of view, of course, it is a real fun to work in this industry because you, if especially if you like sports, and you, I do, I, I like boxing, I like motorsports, I like football, and I was playing football back in the days. So for me, it's uh, uh, emotion. I'm emotionally connected, but not from the professional point of view. This is also enjoyable part of it. And also the people. Uh, what is the important one is the people in the industry, because you can meet a really, like really fantastic people here. Fantastic people. For example, I met very, very highly qualified professionals in the field. For example, head coaches. I had, I had encountered many, many head coaches of football, Spanish head coaches, uh, Russian head coaches, Armenian head coaches. So it's very, very fascinating to speak with them, to hear how they, for, for example, how they speak about football. When they are when they start to speak about football, you clearly understand that as a spectator, you do not understand about football. You know, like their knowledge is so deep, they are speaking about so minor, minor little things that you didn't even think can affect to anything. But uh, this is also a very enjoyable part. So uh i remember when i had a small conversation with one of the coaches in boxing oh my god this this uh man had uh had so deep knowledge in 
in uh, mass autonomy, like uh, biology, the construction of bones. I was I was listening to him. It was like speaking with a doctor. I was fascinating how boxing coach can know is able to understand this kind of uh, deep uh, information in uh, health uh, of of mankind. So uh, I remember when I was working in the club, I had the chance to work with a very highly qualified doctor. Uh, he uh, was uh, he has come to our club club from. Russian big club and he was very high professional uh, in his field and he advised me to study uh, FIFA football medicine program medical program program sorry football medical program and uh, he said this program is targeted for not doctors for regular persons in the industry but not uh, doctors like for example you as a lawyer can study it uh, or other person also can study it so eventually i studied it and it was really interesting uh, it gave me a very good knowledge about the problems the football players uh, have on the pitch the common problems the knees knee injuries uh, concussion uh, and many more so it's uh, you know like I would summarize like this, working in the sports industry gives you uh, a very broad and wide knowledge nearly connected with everything. For example, I couldn't believe myself that I would know the standards of the turf, of the pitch. If somebody would say me like 20 years ago, do you know like you will end up knowing how many centimeters shall be the height of the football pitch i would say i'm a lawyer why should i need this but now i know this and uh, this is interesting this is interesting why not why not to know ashok what i admired from this whole conversation is you're open-minded with your learning as a whole theme i think this is important including myself but also hopefully to you who's listening in that curiosity in the sports industry is so broad you can make it your own university with interest and real commitment to your own you know, career journey itself. But look, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'd like to always finish with an inspirational one. And you provided case studies already. You provided tips. So as a recap, would you mind providing like three tips for the listeners to really take action with regards to starting a career in sports law? Like what would those three tips be? Tip number one, find a good mentor or a good internship in a sports law firm. If you are not able to find an internship in a football club, of course. If if you would be able to find an internship in a football federation, this will be fantastic. But um, commonly speaking, first tip, mentor or internship in the uh, sports uh, stakeholder. Second tip, uh, be ready for constant and continuous learning and uh, consistency. Do not hold back. If you started, you must finish this. Do not hold back. This is the second tip I am going to advise to everybody. You you may think it's hard. You may think you do not understand. You may think it's it's too much, too much pressure on you, too much information for you. No, do not hold back. If 
I was able, for example, to, uh, you know, it's like this, Ed. Uh, in my understanding, every professional should be like this. You should overcome not the problems which are set in front of you, but you must continuously overcome yourself. Over and over, you have, now you have 100 experience, you overcome it, you have 200. The next target, overcoming your own experience, eventually self-developing yourself. Over and over and over. If you have chance to receive a good education, go for it. If you have a chance to receive at least a new and good quality information from anybody in sports industry, go for it. Try to be a spong that takes in all the water it can. This is the second tip. And the third tip, uh, try to build as much healthy connections as you can because uh, networking is valuable not only in the sports industry, but in every industry. And uh, do not forget that your networking is strictly related to the quality of work you provide. You should earn your respect by your quality of work. And eventually it, in my understanding or in my belief, will end up building a very good networking with other professionals in the industry. You must be respected for your work, not for your words. This is very important. Be work-oriented person and uh, do not forget about the importance of the networking. This is the third tip I would give to anyone in the in the for the newcomers. Ashok, they are fantastic, and actually, I want to emphasize that third one—not the networking bit, but show your you know your work, not your words. I think that is so so true, but so important. It sounds so obvious, but you know, if common sense doesn't mean always common practice. So thank. Carry on. Ed, give, let me give a small let me give a small comment on this, okay? Because because in modern days uh, there are situations where you know, like there is a problem, and everybody speaks about this problem, describes this problem, uh, you know, lives with this problem, feels that problem, etc. No, the problem should be solved, and by saying solved, I mean here is the problem. Here's the uh, solving approach, and you must execute the solving. You must not, uh, of course, you must discuss it, brainstorming, etc. But you must not, you know, uh, spend much time on speaking about problem than to executing the uh, solving itself. For example, of course, I'm not. I do not mind to speak about problem with anybody. But the speaking should be subject-wise. It should not be like, you know, the, it, it should be a targeted conversation. And uh, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, if you value your time, and of course, if you value your colleagues' time, which is most important part, be polite and you must value other people's time as well. So you must be concentrated on solving the problem. Not speaking about that, describing that, etc. Nobody cares about your feelings. And you know, like uh, I do not remember where I encountered these words, but somewhere there was a saying that facts do not care about your feelings. 
this was very important, very, very interesting saying. So uh, nobody, the fa fact of the problem doesn't uh, include your feelings of it. Just you must be problem-solving person, work-oriented, result-oriented. Because in my understanding, for example, my client uh, doesn't want to hear from me my work I done for it, my approach, my hard working, etc. No, he wants the result. Of course, as a lawyer, you cannot promise any result or guarantee any result. This is uh, unethical. But uh, in your mind, you should understand you must bring results to these people. So how you do it, for example, how you feel about that, etc. This is your problem. This is not your client's problem. So that's why I suggest to be work and result oriented. At least do not do not uh, be afraid of work. It doesn't fight. Absolutely. I, I've really loved that response. And thank you for going in more detail. Out of interest, Ashot, how can people interact with you online? Like where are the best places to go? So more or less my main, uh, my free time on social media is being spent on LinkedIn. I do not use much Facebook or Twitter or no, more or less I'm on LinkedIn. And the, of course, listen, LinkedIn is a very good platform for networking. I forgot to mention that because uh, in LinkedIn, there are many good professional people with whom you can have very good discussions, very good uh, new approach to new situations. For example, I uh, enjoy very much to speak with other lawyers on particular cases. For example, their approach can differ. We discuss the approaches, we discuss the legal strategy uh, of already a uh, uh, case which, which is over, like not an active case, but somebody, for example, posts a case, a result of it, and there is a discussion. And you learn a lot from this, share your opinion, of course, sometimes receive uh, positive feedback, sometimes receive criticized feedback. This is also normal. Try to be not only self-criticizing, but also be able to receive criticism in your opinion. You are not always right. You cannot be always right. LinkedIn is also a very good platform for in, uh, starting uh, conversation with uh, other professionals. Absolutely. It's free for everybody. You just got to set up an account and get going on LinkedIn. Um, it's a controllable Look, Ashot, I've really enjoyed this conversation and that LinkedIn link will be on my website with regards to this podcast and blog. But in the meantime, thank you for a great conversation and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you too, Ed. Thank you very much for your time, for your uh, really professional approach to organizing all this podcast with questions, the coverage. I hope your audience will uh, enjoy it. If there are uncovered questions, which they, for example, uh, when they hear the podcast and there are uncovered questions, I'm really happy to answer them. If they will connect, if they connect me with uh, through LinkedIn or whatsoever, I'm really happy to answer and cover their questions. No problem at all. I'm really open to uh, newcomers, open to discuss various matters. No problem at all, and share my experience with anybody who is interested. Wow, what such a detailed and fascinating podcast chat with a shot. Honestly, from a sports lawyer's perspective, I hope you've got a better understanding of the lifestyle and pursuing a career as a sports lawyer. For me, the biggest sort of takeaway 
that I've learnt from a shop, particularly when he was head of law at a football club, was with regards to time management and with regards to making decisions when, like he said, his biggest friend was coffee with regards to that transfer window. Like, because of the two transfer time zones, he it was better for him to stay in the office and get the work done and, like he said, have not much sleep um, for 56 hours, but then he managed to then get the job done. And I think this is really important. It's just for you to be mindful that if you want to pursue a career in sports law, particularly a football club, this podcast is just giving you a little insight of what goes on behind the scenes. You know, I'm not here to discourage you. I'm not here to say don't do it. All I'm saying is just be mindful of the reality of the actual lifestyle itself. And with regards to right at the end with a shot sharing his like three qualities or tips with regards to pursuing a career in sports law. I really enjoyed what he talked about having and building a network. Of course, this is a topic that is so important when building a network in the sports industry. Actually, it's vital. Without it, I would say it's pretty much very difficult to pursue a career in this industry. But what I enjoyed about it is that how you build respect in the sports industry is through your work, not through your words. And it's really backing that up. And when you back that up with regards to what you do in the sports industry, not just in sports law, it will really reflect your network as well and the meaningful connections you build over time. So with regards to this podcast, as always, make sure you really apply one learning lesson from a shot and apply it to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. A shot said... You should overcome not the problems in front of you, but you should continually overcome yourself. Be a sponge, learn from others, and go for it.